I'm Tony Peebles, uh, Director of Diversity Advancement and Corporate Relations at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, proud member of NACRO. And I'm happy to be with, here with my colleague, Catherine Rayberg from the University of Illinois, uh, who is also a leader in the NACRO organization and uh, corporate relations professional for that university. Hey, Tony, uh, good to see you. So excited to be uh, doing another podcast together. Absolutely. We're hoping that we're sharing some knowledge and information and best practices around diversity and inclusion as it, as it fits into the role that we all have as uh, fund developers and, and partnership builders, if you will, for our respective universities around the country. So we're excited for that. Uh, we've got a couple of folks with us. Um, we have one of our board members, uh, Megan Puzzi, from uh, also University of Illinois, correct? And, yes, uh, good morning. And we're glad that she's sitting in with us because we always want our leadership to embrace what we're doing and give us that support. We appreciate you very much. And today we're gonna be chatting with um, Edward Reynolds and Edward Reynolds is from the University of Auburn, the Auburn Tigers. So I'm gonna have him describe his role and then we'll, we'll get at it a little bit. And then Kimberly Jacobs has joined us. So we've got a, we've got a crowd today, so we're excited. Uh, so Edward, give us a little background about what your, uh, your role and how you discovered NACRO or how NACRO discovered you and uh, let's go from there. Yeah, well, thank you, Tony. I appreciate you all having me uh, on, the, on the episode today. Uh, so again, I'm Edward Reynolds. I serve as the Corporate and Foundation Relations Officer for the Harvard College of Business uh, at Auburn University. Um, a little bit about my role. I serve as, I like to say I'm a connector of dots uh, for our college's efforts um, to connect with corporate partners, external audiences, uh, making sure that companies know how to um, engage with our student talent. So helping them with their talent recruitment efforts, uh, building that talent pipeline, uh, also helping them with brand awareness uh, efforts that they may have for their company, um, sort of amplifying their brand throughout the college, uh, making sure that our students know about them, uh, and also helping uh, those companies who might have unique challenges that you know, maybe are, are on the back burner, they can't really address right away. Uh, you know, we've got great talent in the research space. So our faculty, uh, graduate and undergraduate students who are involved in research, you know, helping them uh, explore those opportunities as well. And then ultimately the hope is that, um, you know, we provided them enough uh, ROI that they are interested in uh, philanthropic partnerships with the college. Excellent. I'm a former banker, so I like hearing ROI. <laughs> so I want to chat with you a little bit about, first, I want to ask you, are you getting some ROI, if you will, from NACRO? Tell, and you're, I'm rather new to NACRO as well. So tell me about your experience so far with NACRO. I know with COVID, you may have may not have had a chance to attend a face-to-face -face convention, but I know that our senior leadership has tried to provide a lot of great content and other networking as we're all in this virtual space. So tell me about, tell me first about your ROI with NACRO. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, I think you are right. I haven't had the opportunity to have that face-to-face -face engagement. Uh, still very new to NACRO myself. I think I joined uh, at the end of 2020. Um, okay. But in, that, in the meantime though, I have had an opportunity to, um, I've enjoyed the resources that have come out via email. So links to articles and, um, uh, feature stories about our field and our work. It's always, I think, helpful um, to have those types of resources where you can just read about best practices and uh, engagement opportunities that are happen happening and occurring in different 
parts of the country in the higher ed space as it relates to um, corporate relations and, and foundation and development work. So um, that has been helpful for me. Um, I think opportunities to connect and network with similar like-minded development professionals is also helpful. So even this kind of opportunity to engage in the podcast space and, and have these kinds of conversations about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, um, and I, I think just the unique niche field that we work in within uh, the fundraising space has been helpful for me. Excellent. That's, uh, that's, that's kind of how I found NACRA to be. And I joined at, in 2018 when I came to, to, to my university. Uh, talk a little bit about kind of your, your, a little bit about your career, very briefly, maybe your career trajectory. One of the things that I've learned, um, and this is one of the reasons we're focused on diversity and inclusion, there is not, to be honest, there is not a lot of us uh, people of color in advancement um, across the country in a lot of ways, uh, particularly, but not limited to universities. And um, so you and I are, are outliers, if you will, being African-American men, as a matter of fact, in advancement. Um, so tell me a little bit about your career trajectory. And, and, and then, then I'd like to go into a little bit about some of what you're doing on campus and your diversity and inclusion background and how we get an ROI around that. Yeah, yeah definitely. So um, I've kind of had an interesting, I think, pathway to uh, uh, advancement work. So um, after graduating from Auburn, um, so War Eagle to that, after graduating from Auburn, I worked in our undergraduate admissions office. So okay. that was kind of the beginning of my career path. Uh, did work in enrollment management, uh, recruiting. You know, I thought I'd like to learn a little bit more about the student experience, experience after we get them uh, into the front door, what does that look like? So uh, I moved on to become an academic advisor in our College of Liberal Arts. Uh, spent some time there. Um, great experience. I, I, I discovered what I wanted to know. Um, and, um, I, think, I think that kind of piqued my interest in fundraising and development work because what I, what I experienced was it was one thing to get students in the front door, but it was another thing to see some of the struggles that they had with um, financial aid scholarships, uh, sort of the, the retention piece. Um, and so that was an eye-opening experience for me. Uh, but then I moved on, I moved back into uh, enrollment management. So I went, uh, left Auburn, went to work at uh, University of Alabama at Birmingham, um, returned to the, the admissions field, uh, stayed there for several years. Um, but in, the, in, in that time, I was exposed to alumni affairs and kind of that engagement piece, uh, started to work and, and um, collaborate with folks in our advancement office. Um, so that was where I really uh, developed, I think, an interest for the field. And so great opportunity opened up at Auburn. And so I returned back in 2017 uh, as the major gifts officer for the Office of Inclusion and Diversity. Um, that was a great experience. It, it was something that resonated with me personally because um, I, I think that we we always have to be mindful, especially in higher education, about the importance of diversity. Um, inclusion is also extremely important. I think sometimes we we leave that part off. Um, access and, and equity um, in terms of creating opportunities for underrepresented folks. So all of that just kind of came together for me in that role. Um, but I. I learned that there were a lot of opportunities to partner with corporations uh, around that, that particular area of work. And so that led me into my current role uh, in Harvard College. 
Excellent, excellent. Talk a little bit about um, if uh, this return on on investment, if you will. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've been trying to do in my role, um, I have a couple of portfolios in diversity being one of them for Case Western Reserve University is try to always make the business case, if you will, for diversity and inclusion. Uh, I, and I'm making that case on campus with various departments and schools and the deans and, and researchers and, and, and the admissions folks, but I'm also taking that message out to our corporate partners and, and, and our, our alumni that are out there in the in industry but I'm always trying to make the business case. I think most people will embrace that somewhere we feel that diversity and inclusion is a generally good thing. But when you're talking about allocating resources, we need to show how it, if, how do we make the business case for it? And so can you talk a little bit about maybe from your experience uh, being a major gifts officer for your diversity inclusion office at Auburn and then you're transitioning now, how have you articulated the business case to uh, potential corporate partners and donors around diversity and inclusion. And I like the fact that you threw in equity and, and, and the like. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I think what I learned pretty quickly is that um, there are challenges in turn in the corporate space, challenges around um, building diverse talent pipelines. So that's one challenge, just building the pipeline. Right. How do we, as a corporation, connect with colleges and universities to attract students into our company, into the front door? Um, how do we retain that talent once we've gotten them? So very similar to some of the experiences that I had on the um, admission side working in higher ed, right? How do we attract students to the university? How do we retain them? So um, that was one thing that was eye-opening for me. The other part of it was how do we simply identify the talent? Okay. We know we need more people of color. We know we need uh, better representation in the LGBTQ plus space, right? But where do we find that talent? How do we make authentic connections with that talent? So I, I think that's where um, higher ed institutions can be valuable partners. So this kind of goes back to that, the concept of ROI. Um, I think that's where we can come to the table and say, you know, obviously we're a university, so we have lots of students, um, but we've cultivated relationships with these students. We are educating them. So we're preparing them for uh, the workforce and particularly your, your company, right? Um, but we're also, I think, through offices like inclusion and diversity, um, equity, inclusion and diversity, whatever the language is at the, at the campus, I think we provide opportunities where we expose students to uh, various cultures. Um, we prepare them for um, competency around working in diverse environments, um, which is exactly what corporations are looking for. Okay. And so I think building those partnerships helps them one, identify talent, um, two, helps them with their brand aware awareness rather. Um, and so, you know, it's, I think that's where the ROI comes in. We provide the talent, we are pouring into the students um, and preparing them for the workforce. Um, based on the events of 2020 and, and some of the tragedies and, and strife we saw around social justice and racial justice, have you seen a different um, mindset from corporate partners or our corporate partners leaning in and saying, we wanna help, we wanna make, do something um, impactful 
Uh, have you seen that? I have. I have. Um, I've had lots of I've had a lot more conversations, I think, since summer 2020. Um, very transparent conversations about the need for diverse talent. OK. And why that's important to the organization, to our corporate partners. Um, I think prior to that, you know, you you'd have some conversation about, well, we need more diversity in the organization. But I think now the conversation has shifted, has developed from we need to check the boxes, right? We need more diverse talent to this is a critical need. We want to reshape the culture and climate within our organizations. We want to take this seriously, but we need your help as an institution, higher ed institution to identify that talent and, and also help us show the students that we as a company are serious about this. So how can we partner in that way? We need to let the students know that when they look for an employer, when they graduate, um, you know, they can go into an organization that truly values their whole identity, their, their personhood. Um, and I think that's another part of the ROI where we can collaborate and work together to cultivate those kinds of relationships. Because what we know is that's what students are looking for now, especially after, you know, summer 2020, right? We, we know that students are taking it very seriously. They are passionate about companies who not just talk a good talk, but are also uh, uh, showing action uh, in their DEI efforts. So excellent, excellent, excellent. Hey, Tony, if I could jump in real quick, um, kind of thinking about your comments around attracting and retaining from a student level and then students into the workforce, thinking more about the NACRO membership. And we're so excited that you joined at the end of 2020. Um, special that we've got our two uh, co-presidents here with us. And it might be a great opportunity to share some insights from your role um, in the, like, as Tony kind of started the value of NACRO and ways you think that we can do a better job of attracting a more diverse membership base and retaining them in NACRO. For sure. Um, you know, I think, Tony, I think you, you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said we as African-American men are outliers, but what we also know is that we are one segment of underrepresented, uh, folks within our profession. Uh, and so I, I think I think organizations like NACRO can tap into some of the other um, uh, talent resources that exist. So, for example, there's the African-American Development Officers Network. There's the, the Women of Color in uh, Fundraising uh, Organization. Um, you know, you've got so many different, I think, professional organizations that exist within advancement fundraising development. Um, that are just sort of under the radar. We, right, we, I, I as a black person, I know that they exist. Right, um, yeah, same here, right. Right, exactly, but I don't know if uh, leaders within our field, um, HR uh, organizations within our field, I don't know if they know that they exist. And so I, I think that's where we as partners in NACRO can connect with those kinds of organizations to build those bridges and make connections. Um, and highlight their work and highlight their members and their efforts, because I think they're doing great things within our profession. I think they are uh, supporting professionals in our fields who um, kind of go unnoticed and unrecognized and don't have the same kind of, of access to, one, just, uh, you know, entry-level career opportunities, but then also those advancement and uh, professional development opportunities. So I think NACRO can be a partner in that way, uh, collaborating connect and connecting with those other 
uh, diversity-oriented professional organizations. That's a great suggestion. Um, when I recently got involved with the African-American Development Offices, it was just amazing to know that the, across the country, there were so many of us who are like-minded and were able to share some of our best practices and experiences on how to be better professionals and how to be more effective in our roles with our respective universities and or other uh, nonprofit organizations. So it's pretty exciting. Um, I'd like to shift gears a little bit. Uh, one of the areas that we all tackle as much as we as corporate relations officers are driving the talent conversation with companies. We're also driving a research conversation oftentimes with companies. Um, can you give us maybe some insight from your experience around uh, research within the diversity and inclusion space? For example, I'm working with our, our health education uh, campus, which includes our dental school, our medical school, and our nursing school around some of the research that our faculty is working on around health disparities, uh, not just limited to the urban community, but in the rural community, different uh, disadvantaged populations. And we're finding some resonance um, with some of our corporate partners, such as our, uh, the drug manufacturers, uh, the health insurers, and um, some of the medical device companies. Um, and so have you had a similar experience and are you, as you're talking in general around research as part of your role, now that you're in the more of the corporate role, do you find opportunities for that inclusion and diversity conversation around the research um, research funding, if you will? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a great point. Um, I am discovering more opportunities for the, the research connection uh, as it relates to uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, a great example, we, we've got a wonderful business analytics department here. Uh, all of our departments are great, so <laughs> I want everyone to know that. I love all of my departments equally. <laughs> um, but this was just one example that recently occurred. Um, you know, I discovered that uh, they are doing some interesting research around uh, health disparities, right, um, and how we can leverage business analytics. So using the data that exists uh, to help combat some of those disparities um, and create and amplify access to uh, underserved populations, right? Um, I, I just think that's such a, a great opportunity for corporate collaboration. And then, and so we, we certainly have a partner in that space uh, who is investing resources into that research but I think that can be replicated in other areas as well. And so I think you're right. Um, there are certainly opportunities for research collaboration between higher ed institutions, corporations around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I think we have to, I think we as professionals in the field have to make sure that we take ownership um, and we present those opportunities and let our corporate partners know that they exist. Um, you know, I, I think that's where we can serve as, uh, you know, uh, accomplices, you know, right? Allies, accomplices, right, right, that's right. where we can step into that lane, um, have conversations about them, even, and, and this is the other challenge, I think sometimes, uh, fear gets in the way. And I think some of our professionals are fearful of saying the wrong thing you know, maybe not having the most accurate language around DEI, but, you know, I, I believe you, you can't let fear get in the way. I think you have to have courage 
and have those transparent, courageous conversations about the work that exists. Otherwise, how will corporate partners know these, these research opportunities exist? How will they be able to um, provide funding and support so that we can continue to develop that research and amplify it and create actionable um, outcomes that improve the quality of life for you know, the communities that we as fundraisers serve. So we have to overcome the fear. And sometimes that means we have to do our own homework and, and research and read and listen to podcasts and, and dig into it and learn more so that we can have confident conversations around DEI. That's, awesome. That's a very good point. Very yeah. good point. Um, one of the things that intrigued me when Catherine approached me to, to work together to do this podcast is, you know, we have, I think, built a, a friendship and we come from different parts of the spectrum. Um, I'm African-American man who grew up in the city. I have three daughters and, and a wife and she's a, a white lady that grew up in the, on a farm and she has three sons and a husband. So we... <laughs> We, we have diversity in a lot of ways, but we're learning each other's um, uh, styles and, and building a safe zone where we can talk comfortably and maybe overcome some of that fear. Because I think all of us have some anxiety about a subject that arguably can be touchy, mm -hmm. but there's a business case for it. There's a there's a altruistic good around it. And if we can help all of our colleagues, regardless of whether they are a underrepresented minority or a majority individual, to get comfortable with that conversation and feel like they can speak to it without being canceled or without being uh, put in a situation where they're uncomfortable. I think that would be a great goal for NACRO so that regardless of your background, you should be able to talk about the African-American community, the LGBT community, Latinx community and, and others, right? So that we can we can all be better professionals in, in this in this space. Um, um, Catherine, I don't know if you had any other uh, thoughts or questions. Was, um, this has been a great panel. I love sitting back and listening to you and Edward, such amazing, um, just self-reflection and thought-provoking statements. And I agree, it was a great way to kind of wrap up this segment. We're gonna kind of do a two-part segment on this one. Or we're gonna go into a more conversation around the top-down leadership approach. We're taking a knack around diversity, but. Edward, I think you made a great point that we're really trying to break down the walls and make it a comfortable conversation. And that's exactly why we call this a dialogue on diversity. And it has definitely helped me to spend some time with Tony and get me more comfortable. And so I like the idea that you do need to do the work and spend some time and give yourself some professional development in this space and then get yourself more comfortable and overcome that fear that you mentioned. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Wonderful to meet you and looking forward to working with you through NACRO and um, best of luck and all that you're doing at Auburn. Likewise, yeah. thanks for the yeah. opportunity. All right.